0: Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey guys, good morning. Can you all hear me? Am I good? Awesome. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're a guest here, my name is Byron. I get the great privilege to serve as the lead pastor and church planter, and I just want to say thank you so much for spending your Sunday worshiping with us. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James. That's where we're at. We're jumping back into our series James, bold words from Jesus' brother. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to get back to some sort of normalcy in life. And so while you're flipping, finding the book of James, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son. Lord, I thank you that you have sent Jesus to love us, to give to us, to bless us. Lord, that Jesus lived his life just like every single one of us did, that he went through all the trials, the troubles, and the temptations, yet Jesus remained without sin. So by the power of the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to live without sin, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts to understand the word and empower us so that way we can live a life that overcomes sin and temptation just like Jesus And we ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we get into our study in the book of James, uh, since it's been a couple of weeks, let me go ahead and just kind of do a quick recap. One of the things that I love so much about the book of James, and James is one of my my favorite books of the Bible, is that James is honest. James is honest, he's upfront, and James, he doesn't hold anything back. James tells it exactly like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat our situation, he doesn't placate religion. He says, you know what, if you're going to follow Jesus, that means your life is going to look like Jesus, and the closer you get to him, sometimes the more difficult it's going to be. And he doesn't say, when you become a Christian, everything's going to be easy. In fact, he says, sometimes it's going to be a little uncomfortable. And James is just very honest with the situation that we're in, that sometimes following Jesus is going to be a little uncomfortable. And so here's the bold words from Pastor James today, trials and temptations. Okay, now how many of you woke up this morning, and you're like, I-, I want to hear the sermon about temptation, right, right? Yeah, nobody, right? But here's why this is so important. If you need to know this. Every time that God gives you an opportunity, Satan is going to bring an opposition, and every time you have temptation, know this, that there is a testimony waiting just behind it. It was true for Jesus, and it's also, it's also true for us. So before we jump into James, let me go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at Jesus' temptations and how Jesus overcame temptation through the person and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Gospel of Luke tells us we're going to learn from, listen to, and we're going to live the way that Jesus lived. And so here's what the Gospel of Luke tells us about trials and temptations and Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that you're empowered for mission in the same way that Jesus was. That's what it means for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not about shouting in tongues and getting goosebumps during worship. It's much more than that. All of those things are entertainment. The Holy Spirit is for our empowerment. The way that we overcome sin and temptation is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we wanna live like Jesus. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus was. And so Jesus is filled of the Holy Spirit, and he returned to Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Some of you, you feel as if you're in a wilderness season. I want you to know that the Spirit will sometimes lead us into the wilderness so we can grow in our holiness. So Jesus is led into the wilderness for 40 days. So Jesus is praying, he is fasting, and he's about to launch his public ministry. And there he was tempted by the devil. So there's our word. It's a It's a what? to temptation. You can be a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving community, having church-going Christian, and you can still be tempted. Jesus was tempted, and so we too can be tempted. So Jesus being tempted, he ate nothing during those days. He's, he's fasting. He's on a 40-day fast. How many of you have ever done a fast, right, where you exchange your, your physical needs for a spiritual need? That's what a fast does. And Jesus is fasting here for 40 days. Okay, how many of you, 40 day fast seems like a stretch. Like 40 minute fast, that's pretty tough. Some of you, you ate breakfast and you're looking at your watch being like, when's he gonna be done? Like, we need to wrap this up, right? It's gonna be about another 40 minutes. And so you can do this. So he's fasting, imagine Jesus in the wilderness, no food, no water, no nourishment, no substance, just him and God alone in the wilderness. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus is fasting for 40 days and when they were ended, the most obvious verse in the entire Bible, he was hungry. The devil said to him, so Satan's gonna to come to him and he's going to tempt him in the middle of a trial to test him and to try our Lord Jesus. And this is what Satan says to him. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Okay, first I want you to know, he gets him to question his identity. If you are the son of God, are you really who you think that you are? Is this really what God has said about you? Is this really the reason that God has put you here? He causes him to question his identity. And then he says, command this stone to be bread. Now, after 40 days, how many of you would love to make some bread? Right, I, I would love bread. If it was me, I'd be like Oprah. I'd be like, I love bread. Like, that's, that's how I would be. Now, is it a sin to eat bread? No. Is it a sin to eat with Satan? Yeah, probably. Probably. And what you'll notice about temptations is that they're not always the, the, the lesser sin. Sometimes they're just getting you to meet you, get your needs met by someone or something else. And so Satan is trying to tempt him into making bread. And then Jesus answered him. So he's going to speak. And Jesus here is going to quote the Bible. He says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Here, Jesus is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. I believe that while Jesus was in the wilderness, those 40 days, he was meditating, memorizing, studying through the book of Deuteronomy. Now, if our life depended on it, how many of you probably wouldn't be able to quote from the book of Deuteronomy? Yeah, it, it's just not one that we, we talk about very often. Like for me, I have like five Bible verses memorized. Jeremiah 29, 11, Psalm 23, John 3, 16, Philippians 4, 13, Romans 5. Like other than that, I'm done. Okay, this is why it's so important for us to read our Bibles, for us to study our Bibles, for us to memorize the scriptures, for us to pray and meditate and focus and to get in a community group where we study the Bible because the scripture is the greatest weapon we have against temptation. The scripture is the greatest weapon that we have against temptation in our lives. And so Jesus quotes from the Bible. He says, it is, not, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. So this is a, a second temptation. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said, to you I will give all of this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So now Satan takes Jesus up to the top of the world and he shows him all of the pleasure, all of the, all of the beauty, all of the glory, all of the money, all of the sex, all the fame, all the power. And he says, Jesus, all of this can be yours if you will just turn and worship me. What Satan's trying to do is give Jesus a shortcut. So that he can have a crown without a cross, that he can have victory without a defeat, that he can have a promise without any pain. He's offering Jesus a shortcut to Jesus's own personal destination, what God had sent him for. And sometimes you need to know that Satan is going to offer you a shortcut, a quick way, an easy way out to get you distracted, to lose focus on what God has actually sent you to do. And so he's tempting Jesus with a second temptation. And then Jesus is going to respond back to him. Jesus answered him, it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Jesus resists the second temptation. See this, the first is Satan presents to him a physical need, that he's hungry. Second, he presents him a personal need out of his desires. And then now he's gonna present him with a religious need. And see, all that a temptation is, is Satan trying to trick you to get your needs met by someone or something other than what God has said. That's what a temptation is. And he's going to offer him a religious need. Now, just when you think about temptations, I need you to understand this, that it's not always just what you see. Sometimes it's also what you do. It's not just always what you do, however. Sometimes it is also the way you you think. See, temptation can also be religious in nature, that you become proud and arrogant and haughty and that you are no longer humble. And so he's going to offer him a religious temptation. And here's here's the one. He took him to Jerusalem. That's the capital of God's people. And then he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is where everyone gathers to worship. And he says, if you are the son of God, again, questioning the identity, then throw yourself down for here. For it is written that he will command the angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against the stone. Here, Satan is quoting from the scriptures. The devil, he is quoting from the book of Psalms, a prophecy about the life of Jesus. You need to know this, that Satan knows the scriptures. And that the devil is one of the greatest theologians. And he takes the scripture and he twists it and corrupts it and uses it wrongly to lead you into wrong thinking, wrong understanding, to make you make wrong decisions. So be very careful that just because someone is reading from the Bible, it doesn't mean that they have God's intentions. And that just because it has a Bible verse attached to it doesn't always mean that it's exactly what God says. And so Satan here is twisting the scriptures Again, another reason that we need to understand the Bible, read the Bible, pray the Bible together in community. So Jesus is gonna respond. And here's what Jesus says to him. It is said that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, so there it is, a test is what? a temptation. And you need to see this for what it is, that it's, it's a temptation. And so Jesus resists him. And then it says that he departed from him for an up- opportune time. How long did Satan leave Jesus? Did he leave him forever? No. He left him for an opportune time. That means he's going to come back at another, mo- at another moment, in another place, when Jesus may become more vulnerable. Now, here, here's, here's what you need to know, that every time God gives you an opportunity, Satan will bring you an opposition. And that every time you go through a temptation, there is a testimony waiting for you. It's true for Jesus, and it's also true for us, that when we follow Jesus, our life looks like Jesus, and the closer we get to him, the more resistance that we're gonna take. And you're going to have to make a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to run to him? Am I going to turn to him? Am I going to trust in him? Or am I going to get my needs met by someone or something other than him? And even as Christians, we could become to grow and, and thrive in one area or one aspect of our life. But that doesn't mean the remainder of our life is going to be devoid of trials, testings, and temptations. It just means that Satan is waiting for another moment, another opportunity, when we may become more vulnerable. And consider when Jesus was tempted. Okay, he was in the wilderness, he was alone, he was hungry, he was isolated, and he was tired. And this is the perfect storm for any opportunity for an opposition in your life. When you are hungry, lonely, tired, isolated, and when you find yourself in the wilderness. Okay, and here's why this is such a timely word for all of us. Due to the current events in our culture, in our country, in our community, and even here in our church, many of us find ourselves in a wilderness. Many of us find ourselves hungry, lonely, tired, and isolated. And we can get so focused, so concerned, so consumed about building this life that we forget that we're here to build the kingdom of God. And so what we need to remember is just as Jesus was tempted, so we too will be tempted. And just as Jesus was on the precipice of launching his public ministry, accomplishing everything that God has sent him here to do, some of you, you are so close. You are so close to everything that God has for you, for the promises that God has, for maturity, for holiness. You're right there at the very edge. And in that moment, you become vulnerable and you may become vulnerable to a temptation. So here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to learn from the temptations of Jesus. So I have three temptation truths that I want to, I want to share with you from lessons in Jesus. The first is this temptation is normal. Temptation is very normal. Okay. And, and so when we, when we became Christians, some people w- we were lied to. And they told you that when you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be easy and you're never going to have any more problems. Okay. If that's, that's you. You were lied to. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but that's just not the way that it works. Some of you have been Christians for a while and you're like, yeah, when is that day coming? Okay. It's called the rapture or the resurrection of the dead. Other than that, like in this life, there is going to be problems. And you ask, well, why so? Now I'll, I'll tell you when you became a Christian, okay, before you became a Christian, you were not a threat to the enemy. You were not a bother to him. You were just kind of doing your own thing. He had you where he wanted you, and he wasn't concerned about you. But the moment that God saved you, picked you up, placed you into the family of God, adopted you into the church, calls you brothers and sisters, you enter into the front line of a war. And now Satan's going to do anything and everything that he can to take you out and to attack you so that you no longer accomplish the purposes and the reasons that God has set you here for. So as a Christian, you are on the front lines. And so being on the front lines, you're going to take some shots. You're going to get some hits. You need to know it. You need to expect it. That temptation is normal. And so when the temptation comes your way, you, you could start to think, oh, something's wrong with me that my faith must be broken, my faith must be defective, maybe I'm not really saved, maybe I've done too much, maybe I've gone too far, maybe God has forgotten me or punished me. Okay, I want you to know that that, that is normal, okay, but but it's not true. Now, others of you come and say, hey, Pastor Byron, everything's perfect, everything's fine, I never have any struggles, I never have any temptations. If that's you, I'm really scared for you. I'm really scared for two reasons. One, that means you're better than Jesus and we should all be worshiping you. And that's a terrifying thought. Uh, And two, you'd be dead. Okay. It's like the only people who don't have temptations are dead people. And so if you are, then we need to call the coroner, come get your body, take you out of here before you start stinking up this place. Okay. Temptation is, temptation is, is normal. So don't freak out when it comes your way. Instead, instead expect it. And also know that a lot of you are new Christians. Like we baptized 40 people in the year and a half since we've launched this thing. We got more baptisms coming up next week, and a lot of new Christians getting saved, getting involved in the church, and that is absolutely amazing. And for you for you new Christians, it's an exciting time in your life. Everything's fresh. Everything's relevant. Everything's new to you. So you're joining new community groups. You're getting involved in a new serve team. You are learning to tithe, learning to give. You're learning to, to read your Bible and to take Instagram and Snapchat pictures with the perfect filter and hashtag authentic faith. And so you're everything's new to you. Everything's so fresh right now. And I don't ever want you to lose that passion. I never want you to lose that experience and expectation. But I, I want you I want you to know this, that about the three to six month mark, temptation's gonna come. And you're gonna become a little relaxed in your spiritual disciplines. You're gonna get a little lazy in your church going, in your prayer. You're gonna pull back from your community and you're gonna find yourself isolated, hungry, lonely, tired. In that moment, you're gonna be vulnerable for a temptation. The natural response is to think, something is wrong with me. I have lost my salvation or God has forgotten me. Okay, I want you to know that moment is normal. It's normal but it's not true. The second thing is this, temptation is not sin. Pop quiz redemption, true or false? Jesus Christ never sinned. True, true, yet he was tempted. We see in Luke chapter four, he was tempted. In addition, the book of Hebrews, the author tells us that Jesus lived in every way, just as you and I did, yet Jesus was tempted and he remained without sin. So that's proof for us that temptation is not sin. And some of you, you you have been lied to and you you bought into the lie that because you are tempted, you are defeated. And that because you are tempted and your desires are so strong, you must have already lost the battle. So you need to go give in to your temptations because you've already lost. You might as well go do whatever it is that you want. That is a lie from the evil one. Just because you are tempted, it does not mean that you are defeated, okay? I meet with people all the time, and they they, they say, in counseling, or in our church, or friends, and they say, Pastor Byron, I I feel so defeated. I I feel so discouraged, and I have all these struggles and temptations, and I gave my life to Jesus, and it doesn't seem like it's changing much, and I'm still wrestling with these things, and I'm still going through these situations. I feel so discouraged, And others who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years, they'll come and say, how is this still a problem? How have I not beat this? How am I not past this? Why does this keep coming back up in my life? It feels like my life is just the worst day on repeat all over again. I feel so defeated because of my temptations. And I tell them, I take a step back and say, okay, temptation is a good thing. And then they look at me like I'm crazy. Okay, let me explain this. Temptation is a good thing. Now, temptation is the opportunity. It's an opportunity for sin or it's an opportunity for holiness. Temptation's either an opportunity for you to give in or it's an opportunity for you to grow. But the temptation itself is not sin. Now, before Jesus, like you didn't have Temptations. Okay, before Jesus, you just kind of did whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, with whomever you wanted. Like, temptation was just your, your normal life. Like, oh, it's Tuesday. It must be temptation, right? That, that was your life. Temptation for you was a strip club on College Street, and even then you thought, oh, that's a little nasty. I'm not. Temptation was just normal for you in your everyday life. But now that you met Jesus, you got saved, okay, he's making a new nature. You're getting a new identity. He's crafting you. He's shaping you into a new person. That conflict, that's the temptation, So temptation is proof that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Without temptation, you wouldn't know that the Holy Spirit is actually changing who you are, your nature, and your desires. So temptation, temptation is not sin. Now, the third point is this. Temptation is waiting. This is one of the parts that we don't like to talk about very often. And it's been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn as a pastor and as a Christian that temptation is waiting, and temptation waits for all of us. And it comes to us when we typically would least expect it. Consider when Jesus was tempted. What was he doing? He was in the wilderness, but he was fasting. He was praying. He was in full hearted devotion to the Lord. Jesus was doing everything right. And that's when the temptation came. Now, you can be doing everything right. And at that moment, you are vulnerable for a temptation. I'll never forget that it was just before the church launched. And we were building a team and we had a whole bunch of people gathering together and we were learning how to set up and tear down and unload the trailer and set up signs. And every single January, we do a 21 day prayer and fasting. And we still do this to this day. And it's an amazing moment in our church. We're praying, we're believing God to do amazing things in our church and our families and in our, in our lives. And we had a husband and wife team that were good friends of mine, and they were active in the team, and everything's just working together, and we're about two weeks from launch, and we're praying, we're fasting, we're believing, we're seeing people get saved, people joining into community groups, we're seeing the church form, we're two weeks from launch, and then all of a sudden, they leave, and I'm like, how? What? How is this possible? How is this happening? We're so close, We're so close to everything that we've worked for. We're so close to everything that we've dreamed for. We're right on the edge. We're right at the very beginning. How now? How is this possible? You need to know this. All hell will break loose right before your breakthrough all hell will break loose right before your breakthrough. And that when you are close, doing everything right, that's when we become vulnerable for a temptation. For Jesus, he was hungry, lonely, isolated, tired. He was out in his wilderness. And many of us, we find ourselves in that exact same place. That we are so close to everything that God has for us. We are so close to everything that God has called us to do. We're doing all the things. We're working hard. We're working right. And yet we're still vulnerable for the temptation. And so when that moment Comes your way. I don't want you to freak out. I want you to say, okay, Jesus went through this. Pastor James talks about this. Byron told me this. I don't need to freak out. I should expect this. So I want you to consider, okay, what's happening now? You need to take a step back and you consider. Take a breath, let it out. Okay, am I tired? If I'm tired, then I need to run to Jesus. That Jesus is my rest. Maybe I need to unplug from the world. Maybe I need to turn off my cell phone. Maybe I need to get off of social media for a while. Maybe I need to take a nap. Maybe I just need to take a Sabbath. Jesus is my rest. Am I lonely or isolated? Then the temptation comes, pick up your phone, call someone, right? Get in a community group, discuss it, confess it, repent to one another. Don't go through it alone. And then just consider, is this a general temptation? If so, read your Bible, pray, meditate, read the Bible, scriptures, get involved in that community group again, and resist the devil like Jesus did. And so all of that, okay, temptation is normal. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is is waiting. Those are three truths that we learned from Jesus. And all that brings us now into the book of James. And here's, here's where this fits. Okay, Jesus was tempted. Now, who was there to see Jesus tempted more than anyone else? Who was there before anything? Before the cross, before the crowds, before the miracles, before the ministry. Who was there to see Jesus be tempted more than anyone else? James. James was there because James is Jesus's little brother, that James saw Jesus as a kid. James saw him grow up into the the awkward teenage years, adolescence, trying to figure out how am I going to grow my beard, get a job with Joseph, swinging a hammer. James saw Jesus go into his public life and ministry to preach, to teach. He saw him at the cross. James saw Jesus walk through everything, all the trials, all the testings, and all the temptations, because James is Jesus's little brother. And when we're studying the book of James, it's very important for us to remember as we read it, that we need to read it through the lens of Jesus that everything that James says are lessons that he learned from his big brother, brother Jesus. I imagine them walking home from church on a Saturday after synagogue and discussing the sermon together. I can imagine them as little kids with a, with a blanket over their bed with a candle, reading the book of Deuteronomy together. I can imagine them going fishing or, 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 or building couch forts or slip and slides together, hanging out, talking with the big brothers. And these are all lessons that James learned from doing life, living life, with Jesus. And James and Jesus have a strong parallel throughout their teachings. Okay, now if you're here and you are not a Christian, I need you to consider this. What would it take for you to worship your brother as God? Think about that. What would it take for you to worship your brother as God? This is one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, if you had to choose anyone in the world to worship, how many would choose your brother? You're like, no, that person is the worst, right? I grew up with him. He he was terrible. If I had to pick anyone, I'd pick him as Satan, but I definitely would not pick him as, as God. Consider what James is saying. Jesus is perfect and he is my God. Now listen, I'm the oldest of six. Okay, so there's a lot of us running around, and most of my family goes to church here at Redemption. Okay, you should be scared. I'm actually, I'm actually pretty, pretty happy about that because we have pastor member confidentiality, and they can't tell any stories. But if you were to find my, my, my sister, and you were to go, is Byron perfect? Uh, she would be like, no, definitely not Byron. He used to pick me up by my head when I was a kid and I I could tell some stories about my sister and and my other brothers, but whatever you do, do not ask about the five-gallon bucket. Just do not ask about that. See, we all have secrets in our families, don't we? Like your brother, your sister, like they they could ruin your reputation with just one single story. Consider what James is saying. I have been there my entire life. I have seen him. And he's perfect, he's without sin. In fact, he's more than that, he is God. And I worship him as my sinless savior, I'm his servant. And James, James grows in his faith through the resurrection of Jesus, a man who who knew that it was a damnable heresy, convictable of death to worship anyone other than Yahweh God. And then he turns and he begins to worship Jesus as the resurrected Savior. And then James joins the first church. And then James becomes a pastor. And as he becomes a pastor, he begins to lead a multi-generational, multi-ethnic congregation spread across the entire nation. And he's the pastor of this church. And so James is him writing a letter to his church, a church that he loves, but a church that is hurting, a church that is struggling, a church with rampant sin and wickedness in it, with with prejudice, with partiality, lots of problems. And he's like, I want to, I want to write something to my church, a church that's going through testing and trials. And so he wants to write to them about temptation. And so as James writes about temptation, I want you to, to think, okay, James is probably thinking, what lessons did I learn from my brother? What, 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 what did my brother teach me about temptations? What, what can I pull from our, our childhood? And so James is going to give us three illustrations about temptation. First, temptation is, first he says temptation is like a sport. Then he says temptation is like fishing, and then temptation is like pregnancy. So sports, temptation is like fishing and pregnancy. Three things I know nothing about. And so first, James says temptation is like a sport. This is what he says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So let's test your sports trivia, okay, Redemption? Okay, so let's say you are the best college football player. Okay. At the end of the year, they they take a vote and you win the Heisman Heisman Trophy. Okay. Let's say you are the best major league baseball team. Astros. Any Astros? Okay. Texas Rangers. Yeah, you're done. Okay. uh, Let's say you're the best. You're the best major league baseball team. You go to the world series and then you win a world series ring. ring. Yeah. Okay. Uh, NFL last week, uh, last week, This is the season opener, okay? You're the best NFL football team. Okay, Dallas Cowboys? Ah, all right. Houston Texans? Okay, we'll pray for you. Okay, Um, you're the best NFL football team. You go to the Super Bowl, and what do you win? The Lombardi Trophy, okay? And, And let's say one more. You are in the Olympics, and you come in first place. You win a medal, and what color is it? What's it made of? gold. Okay. So James says, when you, when, when you think of temptation, think about it like a sport and that the temptation comes your way. Okay. So, so you're taking the field and that, and that you're on one side and you have an opponent on the other side. Your opponent is Satan or, or sin or your, your, your or demons or sinful desires. And so when the temptation comes, it's conflict It's a competition and that you are in a collision. That's what temptation is. So when you're being tempted, I don't want you to think that I'm being defeated. Instead, think I'm just getting started. That temptation is not you defeated, it's you getting started. That this is the moment you've been praying for. This is the moment you've been training for. This is the moment that you have been getting ready for. All of the life, all of the devotion, all of the filling of the Holy Spirit has led me to this very moment. So the ball is on the tee, it's on the 50-yard line. It's kickoff time and you have to make a decision. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna act? Where am I gonna turn? The temptation is here. That means the game is just now getting started. And you have to say, what am I gonna do? What do I need to do in order for me to be victorious? See, James gives us the answer. Here's what James says. If we want to be victorious against temptation, here's the answer. He says, blessed. There is a great blessing in your temptation. There is that blessing in the battle. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, when he comes under temptations, that word "steadfast" it means that we we don't quit, we don't give up, we keep moving, we keep fighting, even when things don't make sense, even when things are difficult. We don't quit because quitters never win. Let's say you are in the Super Bowl, okay, and it's halftime, and your team's losing, and you just say, "You know what? I'm not going to go back out there. I think that I'm, I think I'm going to forfeit. I'm going I'm to walk away. I think I'm I'm, I'm done. All right? We're just going to we're just going to quit." Okay, now do you win? No. Do they throw a parade for you? No. Do you get to go to Disney World? No. Why? Why? Because because you quit. And in our lives, we tend to quit. We tend to just give up. We tend to walk away. We tend to think, this is too hard. I've lost. I might as well go ahead and give in. James says that there is a blessing for the person who remains steadfast. What about in an MMA fight? Okay, you're, you, so you're, you're in the clinch. Someone has you down on the ground. They got you in an ankle hold. You're in submission, right? It's getting really tight. Tap out. Okay, do they raise your hand? No, why? Because you tapped out. You quit. You gave up. Before the fight was over, you, you gave up. You didn't persevere. You didn't remain steadfast. You didn't plant your feet on the ground and stand. One of the greatest problems that we all, all, all wrestle with is that we don't see it to the end. And we think about this life moment by moment, but there is a crown of life that we work for. There's a crown of life that we strive for. You have to see the end and you have to live with the end in mind. That's what James is saying, the crown of life. That's their version of the the Super Bowl, the gold medal, the Heisman Trophy, that the one who wins the crown of life is the one who keeps their eyes focused on the end. That this moment is not all that there is in your life, but there is another life to come. And so we plant our feet on the ground. We remain steadfast, relying on the word of God in the midst of our temptations. You are not defeated. You are just getting started. There is not an opponent that God cannot make an opportunity. There is not a trial that God cannot bring triumph. There is not a battle that God cannot make a blessing. First, he says, temptation is like a sport. Then second, he says, temptation is like fishing. How many of you like to fish? Okay. Yeah. Fishermen. Okay. Fisher, fish fish persons. Okay, I, I don't like fishing. Okay. I, I, it's just, it's just not, it's just not for me. I've been fishing twice. Okay, like once when I went deep sea fishing, I've already told you that story. Okay, I just puked the entire time. I was like, nah, probably not going to do that again. And then another time I went fishing when I was a kid. I had a friend who had a pond in his backyard, and there was like two fish in it. And we would spend the entire day catching the same two fish over and over again. And I know it's the same fish because its face looked like Dennis Rodman. And so... And so I just, I just don't really like fishing. Just not, just, just not my thing. People are like, I'm going to take you fishing. I'm like, eh, probably not. Like, I just don't understand. Some people are like, fishing is a sport. I'm like, uh, n- no, right? A sport is something you can die doing. <laughs> the only thing you can die in when fishing is boredom. Like, that's just, it's just, not, just, just not my thing. But, but nevertheless, now that I've offended like half of you, nevertheless, James is going to give us an illustration about, about fishing. Okay, and here, here's what he says he says, let no one say when he's being tempted, okay, that I'm being tempted by God. God's not the one who's tempting you. God's not the one who's dangling it in front of you, trying to lead you into sin. God is perfect. God is holy. And he is not going to lead you into something other than him. And so don't say, well, God must be tempting me. No, not true. So what is it? What is it that is leading us? What is it that is driving us? What is it that is tempting us? For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself is tempted by no one, but each person is tempted when he is Lord. Okay, that's, that's a fishing word. When he is Lord and enticed by his own desire. Okay, James says, I want you to think sin and temptation like this. Think about it like, like fishing. Okay, so um, Thomas Brooks, the great Puritan author, in one of his books, he says, temptation is like baiting a hook. Okay, so Satan is the fisherman. Sin is the hook. Your desires is the bait. So that makes you and me dumb fish. And you think, oh, did he call me dumb? No, the Bible calls you dumb. I'm just telling you what it says. So, so, so we're the dumb fish. So Satan Satan baits the hook with our, with our desires, drops it in the water, and we're fish. We're kind of swimming around. What do fish do? Like fish just mind their own business. Okay, they're, just, they're just going about everyday life swimming, and, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <gasps> there it is, my favorite thing. Oh, does anybody else see this? Does anybody else notice this? Am I the only one? <gasps> Nobody even notices. It's the thing that I've always wanted. It's what I it's what I dream for. It's what it's what I've been thinking about my entire life. And there it is. <gasps> and then you see it. And so you you swim up to it, you, you look at it, you know, you know, I've heard about one fish who bit into one of these and it didn't end up very well for him, but but probably not for me. And so you, you touch it, you swim around it, you you look at it, maybe you taste it, and you're like, I, I Nobody even sees. And then you mm, bite down, and then you're hooked. Okay, you go from a dumb fish to a dead fish. That's, that's what it is. Okay, temptation is like that. That's the way temptation works, that it baits the hook, and we fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. Okay, now, if you're gonna catch different fish, you need what? Different types of bait. Okay, so all of us struggle with different temptations. All of us have different bait on a hook. And so my question for you is, what is your temptation? What is your hook? Okay, what is your temptation? Now, whenever I first became a Christian, my life before Christ, partying, sex, drugs, playing in a punk band, that was pretty much my life. And so whenever I got saved, those were real big temptations for me, probably for the first two years. Um, But as I began to grow and mature, those temptations, they began to fall away. And God will change your temptations. God God will change, not change your temptations. He'll change your nature. And over time, rather, your temptations will begin to change. And for some of you, that's the reason why you don't want to become Christians is because you kind of like the way it is right now. But over time, God will begin to change your desires and then your temptations will change. So for me now, I don't wrestle with, you know, drugs and alcohol, right? That's just not a big, that's not a big problem for me. But my temptations have changed. Now it's things like anger and jealousy and envy and pride. Those are my temptations. Now they're more socially acceptable, right? But they're ever so deadly. And you know what? the most dangerous thing is because I can hide in the church really good with those temptations. That I can act on those and I can get by perfectly fine in the church. But other people who sin more outside of their body, they're more noticed. And so we need to not judge people based on the temptations that they struggle with. We all struggle with our temptations. But I still have some friends who we go to a restaurant Somebody orders a beer and they're like, that, that's, that's bait for me. I got to get up and walk away. I, I, can't, I can't be there. And sometimes they, they, even just, they even just leave. So my question for you is this, what is your temptation? What is your hook? And some of you think, Bayard, you are talking a lot about sin today. And I am. It, it, you're, you're making it like a really big deal because it is. It is a really big deal. All the pain, all the problems in this world is caused by Sin. That sin is not just a mistake. Sin is a violent assault against the kingdom of God. It's rebellion against God's will. That's what sin is. Let's call it for what it is. It's not, it's not oh, I, I get to make my own decisions. I get to kind of live my own life. It's no one else's business. It's just mine, my body. I can say, think, do, act exactly the way that I want to do. Okay, that is, that is what you're being enticed by. You're being led away from God's will for you. And others of you say, well, it's not really sin. Okay, let me just stop you for a sec, dumb fish. You say, it's not really sin, but is it smart? See, sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's just not smart. James talks a lot about wisdom. You need to have the wisdom to be able to, to know, this is a situation that I probably shouldn't get myself in. This is a relationship I probably, probably don't need to be around. This is is a place in my life that I'm just not strong enough. I'm just not mature enough. I'm just not ready, okay? Recognize it. It's bait on a hook. It's right in front of you. Steer clear. Swim away. Temptation is like like fishing. And the third one he says is that temptation is like pregnancy. Now, let me put an airbag on this, okay? I need to put an airbag on this. Um, Here at Redemption, we love moms, (laughs) We, we love moms. we got about 30 kiddos running around upstairs, right? We, we, we love moms in this church, right? I have a mom. I love her. My wife is a mom and I love her. And by the grace of God, one day, my little girl will grow up to become a mom. This illustration is not an indictment against moms or women. It's simply an illustration about the process of how, of how sin is born. Okay? And so I will even say this, that I believe that God bestows a special dignity, honor, value, and strength to a single mom. And so God gives a special place for, for women and for mothers in his kingdom. And so this, again, is not an indictment against against moms. It's simply an illustration about the process of how sin is born. And this is what he says, that sin is like pregnancy. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings Fourth, death. This is the process. This is the way in which sin is born. Here's, here's how it happens. First, the first step is you, you meet a guy. You meet a, a bad guy. Okay, you think, well, he's not really a Christian. I, I, I probably shouldn't. Now, ladies, there is a good um, life application applied to this for you as well, for the single ladies. Let's say you, you meet a guy. You're like, he's, he's not really a Christian. I know I probably shouldn't be with him, but he is, he is kind of interesting, Okay, most of the most of the bad guys tend to be pretty interesting, like the guy in your community group who reads his Bible, has a job, doesn't live with his mom, like that guy, right? Not very interesting. But the guy, but the guy who rolls his own cigarettes and like does his own tattoos, like that guy, that guy is really interesting. Okay, so just step one, like bad guy. Okay, you know that you should not should not go there. Okay, but step two, you go on a date. You think, well, it's not even really a date. Like we're just kind of hanging out with some friends. I know it's a little late. I know I've had a couple of drinks, but it's not really anything. It's not that big of a deal. And then all of a sudden, it's a little late. You find yourself in a place with the person you know that you shouldn't be. And then, and then what happens? Step three, you begin to fool around. So you then start to to fool around. You're you're, you're compromising your integrity. You think, "Nah, I'm. I, I, you start to have second thoughts. You're like, I'm a little anxious. I'm a little nervous. Maybe I shouldn't do this. But in the moment, the endorphins start flowing. The adrenaline starts going. You get a little excited. You can't help, can't control yourself. So then you start to fool around. Step four, you conceive. Uh Uh-oh. I got my sin pregnant. What am I going to do? Where am I at? How? I didn't think that this was going to happen. Now I'm in a really tough spot. Step five, Okay, you give birth. Step six, you raise the child. That's the way in which sin is born. That's the process. When your decisions and your desires, when they meet, then sin is conceived. And when sin begins to grow and when sin gives birth to death and sin always leads to death. And all of a sudden you're thinking, how did this happen? How did I get here? What's going on? I didn't think that it was gonna be this way. I thought that I could control it, but now my sin is growing. It, it's, it's consuming me, all of my thoughts, all of my energy, all of my effort, all of my time. I can't control it, I can't help it. What do, what, do I, what do I do? See, the lie that Satan will tell you is that sin is fun. And you know what? To an extent, sin is fun. Let's just be honest with ourselves, right? People say, oh, sin is not, f-. no, wait, let's just say sin is, it is fun. It is fun to do what you want, to think what you want, to act in the way as if you have no authority over you and that you are your own God. Like that is fun for a time, for a season. See, whenever I was living my life, like you know, drinking, doing drugs, sleeping around and living out of the back of my car, like that was fun until it wasn't until one day I woke up and I had nothing. I had nothing but a hangover, bad habits, no food, no friends, no family, and no place to go. Like, I thought, this is going to bring me life. But in the end, it only brought death. You see, Satan knows he can't get you with a big lie. Like, Satan's not going to come to you and be like, hey, you want to smoke crack and die? Right? You're like, you're like, no, thank you. Like, that's, that's just not a temptation for me. He's not gonna to come to you and say, hey, do you wanna cheat on your spouse and ruin your marriage? Do you wanna steal from your job and, and wreck your career? Hey, do, do you want to deny the faith? Do you wanna leave the church? Like Satan's not gonna be like here and you're like, no thanks, that's, that's, that's not a problem for me. I see that for what it is. So Satan's not gonna get you with a big lie. So what he does, he baits the hook. He baits the hook and he gives you a little lie. And so he'll come to you and he'll say, well, it's not really cheating. It's just a conversation. Oh, well, it's not really an addiction. It's just drinks after work every night. Plus it's craft beer and that's that's a hobby. That's not a habit. Or he'll come to you and he'll say, are you sure that God really loves you? Are you sure that God really has forgiven you? And then he'll say, why do you go to the church? Why do you hang out with those people? You don't really have anything in common with them. And that person didn't say hi to you and walked by. You See how subtle it is? Slowly but surely, what do we do? We give in. We take the bait. And we fall for the lie, hook, line, and sinker. Does this happen to anyone? Am I the only person not lying today? Like, is this, okay, it happens to all of us. And you can think, how did this happen? How did I get here? I thought that I was past this. I thought that I could control this. I thought that I could beat this. But we find ourselves in the same place over and over again. In that moment, here's what we need to do. We all, we all, we all need to run to Jesus. See, what we we tend to think is, I can fix this. No, we can't. I can change. You can't change yourself. You're the one who got yourself into this situation. You're not going to be the one to get yourself out. You think, I can save myself. I can work real hard. I can be good and moral and religious and spiritual. And I can get myself out of this place. No, you can't. We've been doing it for years and the problem still repeats itself. This is where we all need to run to Jesus. See, the gospel is not about behavior modification. It's about sin mortification. The Bible, the gospel, is not about what we do, but it's about what Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power that say, you cannot control your sin. You must kill your sin. John Owen, he says that we need to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. We can't change, save, do anything apart from Jesus. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Is that because Jesus was tempted, he can overcome your temptations. Because Jesus was without sin, he can forgive you of your sin. Where you may be born to sin in Christ, you can be born again. And this is what I love so much about the God of the Bible is that God doesn't say, you need to make your way to God. In the Bible, God made his way to us. And that is, a, you need to become like God. No, God says, I will become like like man. He doesn't say you need to clean yourself up. He says come to me, I will clean you up. You need to save yourself. God's like, "Nope, come to me, I will save you. You need to work real hard, nope. I've already done the work. I've already done the effort that on the cross I exchanged my sinless life for your sinful life. That I exchanged my temptations for your testimony. If you will just run to Jesus, turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus. It's all available for you. This is the hope. This is the grace. This is the good news of the gospel. Now, we can go to Jesus because Jesus was tempted. So if you're crying, Jesus understands. He's cried. Are you tempted? He knows. He's been tempted. But he also knows what it means to be steadfast and persevere. And that when we are not steadfast and unpersevering, he will persevere for us. That he is always with us, always close to us, always working in us for his glory and the good of others. That is the God that we serve. And so for some of you today, you may feel as if you're defeated. In Christ, there is victory. You may feel like you are in trials. In Christ, there is trust. You may feel as if you are in temptation. In Christ, there is a testimony. You may feel like you are in opposition, but in Christ, there is an opportunity. And though you may feel as if you've been born to sin and death, in Christ, you could be born again into new life. The nature, the desires, the identity, the community, all of it is available to you through the person and work of Jesus if you just turn to him. If you just run to him, trust in him. So this is an opportunity for all of us to respond. And I want us today to, to run to Jesus I want us to turn and hope and trust. And so, so here's what we do as we invite the band forward. Here's what I want us to do today. I want us to turn to Jesus, to trust in Him for your salvation. And so the band's gonna sing and I have praying teams available on either side. This is your chance to run to Jesus. There's a temptation that you keep battling against. You can't get past it. There's people here who would love to pray for you. You're in a situation that's on repeat. You need to come forward. We have people here who would love to pray with you that you don't go through this alone. So come forward for prayer. Don't white knuckle your seat thinking that you can change yourself. You cannot come forward, receive prayer. We're going to worship. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to sing just like a sports team. Whenever they're, their their team wins or celebrates, right? You stand and you raise your hands and you cheer and you celebrate. And that's what Jesus has done for us. The victory has been accomplished. And then we're gonna take communion. The Holy Communion symbolizes that just as Jesus was broken in our lives, sometimes we see as broken. And that as we have shed tears, Jesus has shed blood. But through the communion, the presence of the Holy Spirit is available for us to make broken whole, to make shed tears, to be one with Jesus. And then we're gonna give our tithes and offerings. This is a symbol that our Savior is greater than our stuff, and that when we give, we are furthering the mission and the vision of God, that more people can experience life change just as we have. So that's how I want you to respond. Please stand with me, and we're going to give you this great opportunity for us to respond as a church. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.